uh, I, I was a Cub Scout, and then I graduated to Boy Scouts. I had the little outfit and the handkerchief and the different badges and whatnot, and I loved it. But what I really liked was the survival kit. I think I joined to get the survival kit. Because in that survival kit was a Boy Scout knife. I've never understood why there was a corkscrew in there. But there was. Um, but I wanted that Boy Scout knife because I was into jack knives and I had a bunch of different knives and I loved it. And so I got that knife. And then there was the, the waterproof matches, which I thought were so cool. I'd start them, stick them in water to see if it worked. But, but now you, you got this kit. Now, why did you get the kit? In lieu of the possibility that you would one day, you, you probably never would be, but so that if you ever ended up in a wilderness uh, setting where you needed to survive, you would have whatever you needed to survive, and you would know how to do it because the Boy Scouts taught you how to do it. How many of you have ever realized that a forest is not your friend? Have you ever noticed that? You know, we drive by a beautiful forest. We go, oh, isn't that beautiful? God's creation, isn't it glorious? Yeah, it's glorious until you go spend the night in there. And if you don't take insect repellent and you don't take some things to protect yourself, that forest will eat you alive. There's insects, there's snakes, there's animals. You will not survive it without survival gear. Now, we're in a forest in this world. The Bible calls this a dark world. The Bible says this world is under the sway or the, the influence of the devil. The whole world is. We're in, a, we're in enemy territory. We're in a battleground. Is that true? How many of you felt that this week? Devil came against your home, your marriage, your money, your thoughts. You, you, if, you, if you're a believer, you've got a target painted on your chest and you're in battle every day. Every day. I don't have a day where I don't... Somewhere along the way in that day, I have to battle something. We're in an adversarial world. Now, therefore, God has given us survival gear. God didn't leave us alone. He didn't leave us here to fight all these battles alone. But the Bible says he gave us weapons for our warfare. So that we would not be consumed by the forest. So that we would not be eaten alive by what is out there in that world. But we would more than survive. I believe we are to thrive. He has called us to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. But if you're going to do that, you have to have survival gear and you've got to know how to use it. Now, last week we talked about tool number one. You've got to be daily in the word of God. Today I'm going to talk about tool number two. You've got to daily be in prayer. So let me just put some verses up here. I'm reading this out of the living Bible. So if you're a King James only person... I'm sorry that you're offended, but it put it in a way that um, I, just, I just had to read it. It just makes it simple to understand. So here we go. Paul is talking about warfare. He says, so use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy whenever he attacks. And when it is all over, you will be standing up. Isn't that good? But to do this, you will need the strong belt of truth, the breastplate of God's approval, meaning his righteousness. Verse 15, you're going to have to wear shoes that are able to speed you on as you preach the good news of peace with God. Verse 16, in every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. 
And you will need the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now he's done with the armor. Now look what he wraps the armor around. Read the next four words out loud with me like you're the one preaching. Are you ready? Pray all the time. How do you do that? You ever tried that and tried to function? It means you have a praying heart all the time. How many of you fellowship with the Holy Spirit all day long in your heart? Amen. So we, we can really have an attitude of prayer all the time. But notice now, in, after giving us the armor, he says, now, you, you can't forget, pray all the time. Ask God for anything in line with the Holy Spirit's wishes. Plead with him, reminding him of your needs. And keep praying earnestly for all Christians everywhere. Verse 19, pray for me too. Now, this is the mighty apostle Paul asking for prayer. Look what he asked for prayer about. Ask God to give me the right words as I boldly tell others about the Lord. And as I explain to them that his salvation is for the Gentiles also. Verse 20, I'm in chains now for preaching this message from God. I'm in jail. I'm in prison because I preach this message. But pray that I will keep on speaking out how, everybody, boldly for him even here in prison, as I should. Lord, thank you for your word on prayer. Lord, as we talk about this survival gear, we talk about this crucial, non-negotiable survival gear that we must pray daily. Along with being in your word, I pray that you will help us to understand uh, the the necessity of the time and, and how, Lord, to survive and thrive in the forest of this world in spite of all the attacks, in spite of the flesh, in spite of satanic strategies, that we will survive and thrive. And I thank you for it. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive the word of God. This is your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, survive and thrive. Amen. Amen. I read recently, just yesterday in fact, of a Christian man that was on a business trip. He checked in at the airline counter, began the boarding process, walked down the aisle of the plane, and took his aisle seat. After settling down and preparing to take off, he glanced over at the lady that was sitting next to him at the window. He noticed that she was reading a large old leather-bound book, and he was very intrigued and thought... Well, it must be some old Bible. So he asked the lady what she was reading, and she said, Well, it is a Bible, but not your kind. She said, I'm reading the Satanic Bible. In the course of the ensuing conversation, this lady, who confessed to the man that she was an active Satanist, said, Listen carefully to what she said. We Satanists do prayer walks around every church in America. During these prayer walks, we pray against the church and the pastors. Did you catch that? And we ask Satan, oh, that gives me the chills to read it, to use four specific types of attacks against them, them being churches and pastors. Here's the four things. Deception, distraction, divisions, and discouragement. End of conversation. 
Needless to say, the church of Jesus Christ is locked in arm-to-arm combat with the forces of hell. And I read that and I thought, that is really true, particularly in October. Can I just enlighten you today? We take it lightly, but there are Satanists who do not. And it is their month and their holiday. And I know for a fact, because I've heard of these things before, that what I just read to you is true. It really happens. So here we are in combat, but I read that, and here, here was my response deep within. I thought if so-called Satanists are praying to the dark side against churches and pastors, then the children of light should pray all the more to our mighty prayer-answering God who is infinitely mightier than the devil and all of his demons combined. Amen? Now, last time we talked about the first tool in your spiritual survival gear, and I told you it's the Word of God. We've got to be in the Word of God. Now, can I go ahead and just call that a non-negotiable tool? It is non-negotiable that we, that we must be in the Word of God on a daily basis. I can't go without the Word of God. Jesus said, give us this day, our daily bread. You know, we know when we're physically hungry and we take care of it. We're aware of when our car is running out of gas and we take care of it. But so often we run out of spiritual fuel and we don't take care of it. And that's why I tell you, we must daily be in the Word of God. But we must also be in prayer. Now, again, I want you to notice with me that the last thing Paul mentions in his illustration of the armor of God is prayer. He, he, puts, he puts prayer right there with it. Now, prayer is not a piece of the armor per se. It's not part of the illustration. Prayer is not given a piece of armor. It's added to it. But, but it's sort of like the frosting on the cake or the wrapping around a gift. It makes the armor complete. When you put on the armor of God, I believe it is held on, sealed on, glued on by living a life of prayer. Now, if you're like me, you wish that you prayed more. You wish that you prayed better. Can I I just ask you to be honest in church today and say, how many of you wish you prayed better? Come on. How many of you wish? How many of you feel convicted about your prayer life? Amen? That's right. Because, Because prayer is work. Amen? Prayer is spiritual labor. But Paul said, with all the armor, he said, I want you to pray all the time. Now, there's so many things I could say about prayer, because the Bible is full of prayer, different kinds of prayer, different messages about prayer, and and it's really sort of like an embarrassment of riches when you go to speak on prayer, because you've got a thousand different possibilities. But I want to pull three things out about prayer that I believe are non-negotiable types of prayer. I'm going to talk about three kinds of prayer in the life of every believer. And here's what they are. The prayer for peace, the prayer for grace, and the prayer for breakthrough. Now, for me, what I'm going to share is a non-negotiable. I say again, this is non-negotiable. We all need peace. How many of you like peace? Boy, the older I get, the more I like peace and quiet. Just put me where it's quiet because I love just, I love silence. Silence is golden. Amen? But we all need peace, we all need grace, and we all need breakthrough. And I believe those three kinds of prayer and their types of prayer are non-negotiable when it comes to your survival gear, your survival kit, really making it in this world. We must practice prayer for peace, prayer for grace, 
and prayer for breakthrough. Now, let me just deal with them one at a time. First, peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. That reminded me of my old 70s days. Peace. (laughs) But you know, hippies did that, but they didn't know what peace was. I found peace when I came to Jesus. Amen. There's an old hymn that goes like this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. And oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? All because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. Now, we love, that's a classic hymn, and it's a classic for a reason. Because we resonate with those words, don't we? We resonate because it's true. How often do we forfeit peace? How often do we go through needless pain? Because we don't think to stop and take our needs and our burdens and our cares and our worries to God. Every believer in Jesus Christ has a daily choice. Now listen carefully to this. You've got a daily choice. From the minute you wake up, this is your choice and my choice. To carry our own worries and cares like a great big heavy backpack full of bricks on our back. We can carry all of our cares around, our worries our concerns, the money stuff, the kids stuff, the marriage stuff, the temptation stuff, the problem stuff, the vexing stuff. We can carry it like a backpack of bricks on our back throughout the whole day, or you can cast your cares on the Lord, and that's the way to peace. That's how we get peace. We can carry or we can cast. Now, I used to fish for bass all the time. And I would do it today if I still had a boat. But here's the deal. When you're a bass fisherman, you're very good at casting. But you cast in a way that you don't want to pray. Because you cast that lure out there, and then you begin to reel it back in real slow. And you bring it back to you. And that's the way a lot of Christians cast their cares upon the Lord. We say, Lord, I give it to you. And within an hour, we're reeling it right back in. And we're carrying it all over again. And you know what I've learned to do? And I do this in my own prayer time. I really do this. When I cast something onto God, I say out loud, and I cut the line. Because once I give it to him, it's no longer mine. The Bible says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. And don't forget to thank him for his answers. Now, if you do this, now notice, if, if you do what he just said, then if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. The idea is God's peace stands in front of your heart like a sentinel, like a guard, and when something comes to trouble your heart, he says, back off, back off. The peace of God watches guard over your heart and over your mind so that you're not walking around carrying those troubles and problems all the time. You know what I say from time to time? Your face is God's greatest billboard. And so if you're walking around, well, how are you doing, brother? Well, I'm carrying a heavy load. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. All these things are against me. What am I going to do? They go, and you say you know a God that helps you out? 
No, the greatest billboard you've got is a smile, and there can be a storm raging around you. And people say, how in the world do you have peace? The way I have peace is I have cast it onto the Lord, and I cut the line. I cut the line. See, according to these verses right here, and I love this. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Everybody ought to memorize that one. Everybody ought to memorize it. But, but according to these verses, you can worry about it or you can pray about it. You can fret over it or you can release it. You can hold on to it or you can give it to him. It's up to you. The word casting is really a sailor term. It's a, it's, it's a nautical term. It speaks of throwing an anchor overboard. You know, you've got a ship, and, and it's, let's say it's entering a harbor, and there's a storm raging all around, and the waves are tossing, and the wind is blowing, and the winds are howling, and this ship is in trouble. So what do they do? They grab the anchor, and they throw it overboard. It sinks to the bottom, and it grabs hold of what is at the bottom. And as soon as it grabs hold and, and digs in to, to the bottom of that sea, then the ship is steadied. The ship is steadied in the storm. It cannot be destroyed because it's anchored underneath. And likewise, when we cast our cares onto the Lord, they are anchored in him. And let the rain fall and let the winds blow and let the waves roll. That's all right because I'm not going to be tossed to and fro because my cares are on the Lord, anchored in him. I'm anchored in him. It's the greatest tranquilizer in all the world. Amen. Amen. Prayer. So if you're going to survive in a world of troubles and woes, unpaid bills, marital pressures, perilous times, a godless culture, we've got to learn the art of care casting. Amen. I want you to say with me, care casting. Amen. So every day you take a little time and you say, okay, God, I need these bills paid I'm going to a job that's really hard. There's some tough people that are really grating on me. I'm being persecuted, being criticized. Uh, Lord, I'm really experiencing temptation. Me and the wife or me and the husband are getting along real well. Lord, I've got these concerns. My kids, I'm concerned about my kids. Lord, I just, I cast it onto you. He says, I take it. Just picture yourself taking a big backpack full of bricks off of your back and handing it to a big muscular savior. Amen? He says, I got it. Now go enjoy your walk with God. Amen? So say care casting. Now the second kind of prayer is for grace. And that one's found in Hebrews 4.16. We need this every day. He says, let us therefore come boldly. Now I'm going to stop right there with that word boldly. And I thought of another verse, and let me read it to you. Hebrews 10.19. How can we come boldly? Because it's, it says, we're not to come like this. Oh, Lord, you know, I don't know if you're going to hear me or not. I, I hope you hear me. I'm a little uptight about you hearing me. And I know I'm a great big mess. I know I'll make all kinds of mistakes. That's not how you come to the Lord. It says, let us therefore come boldly. That means with confidence. How can we do that? The Bible says, Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, and confidence brings boldness, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, that's the throne of grace, to enter where God is, to enter where God's throne is, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. How can I enter boldly 
Like, God, here I am, I'm your child, and I'm coming boldly. I believe you hear me. I I believe you're going to answer my prayer. I don't believe I'm praying in vain. Lord, here is what I need. How can we do that? Because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and God has looked on everybody who is washed in the blood of the Lamb, and he has spoken something over you. He has said, righteous, righteous, righteous. When I look at you, I see my son. And so you are righteous. You're righteous in the blood. You have been covered in the blood of the Lamb. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're a born-again, blood-bought child of God. You don't have to come to your daddy uh, uh, shrinking back like maybe or maybe not. He wants to be good to you. We sang a song today about how good God is. Our God is a good God. So we come to him boldly. So he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain two things, mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So this prayer is all about the time of need. And it's not just any need. The the feeling here, the sense here is that you're under a great, great need. There there is a burden. You're, You're in a difficult time. You're in a time of real need. It's one of those times where if God doesn't do something, it's not gonna get done. So you need God. So here you are. You're in a time of great need. And you pray this way. You pray for grace and you pray for mercy when you feel overwhelmed. That's the idea of the verse. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Anybody felt overwhelmed a little bit lately from time to time just with life? You're feeling overwhelmed. Lord, I'm in a time of need. I'm coming boldly to the throne of grace. Your weaknesses might be pulling you down. Maybe you don't feel like you can take another step. Or maybe you feel perplexed or confused and you don't know which way to to go, which way to turn. In times like these, the Bible says you need two things. More than anything else, you need mercy and you need grace in your time of need. Now, those words are so important because here's what mercy means. Mercy has to do with back there yesterday. Mercy has to do with something behind you You've made a mistake. It's done. You took a wrong turn. You stumbled in the way. And and you're feeling like, God, I really messed up. I made a bad decision. I slipped up in the flesh. Lord, Lord, I shouldn't have gone here. shouldn't have gone there. shouldn't have done that. And Lord, frankly, I'm in a time of great need. I'm in a time of great need. And I need, first of all, Lord, I need your mercy. I need your mercy, which means compassion forgiveness, comfort in the Holy Ghost. I need to know, Lord, that you still love me. Amen? Everybody say mercy. Mercy. Now, the good news is that when we need the mercy of God, how many of you have needed the mercy of God since you got saved? Okay, I just want to know if I'm talking to saved people, real people here today. I need mercy about once a day. Amen? So we need mercy. We're humble before God. We say, Lord, I need mercy. The good news is our God doesn't just give mercy. The Bible says he is a God of mercy. The Bible says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So anytime you encounter mercy in the world, the Bible says the Father God was the originator of that mercy. He's the father of mercies. He he spawns mercy. He gives mercy. He releases mercy. He even makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. 
And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He's a good God. That's why we say it all the time. He is not a mean old man sitting up in heaven waiting for you to make a mistake so he can step on you and squash you like a bug. No. Can I tell you the truth? God is pulling for you. God is pulling for you. God wants you to make it. God is always saying, come on. Okay, you stumbled. Get back up. I'll dust you off. I'll fill you with my spirit, and I'll get you back in the game. Come on. I'm pulling for you. My God does not delight when I make a mistake. My God delights when he gets me back up and washes me off and gets me back on the saddle and back in the game, back carrying the ball. He wants me in the game. Amen. And he's the father of mercy. Mercy flows from God. So I need mercy in the time of need. But then he also said grace. Now, mercy is for past mistakes, but grace is for today's challenges. Grace is from a word meaning God's favor. Now, I don't know if you know what favor is. Let me just give you some examples of what I believe, how I believe favor manifests. Grace is God's favor. And God gives grace. When he gives grace, his favor goes before you and prepares a way where there is no way. When God gives favor, he unlocks that impossibly locked door so that you can go through what you would never have gone through had God not opened the door. I am he who opens and no man shuts. Amen? His favor, watch this, his favor will cause the most unlikely people to help you. When God favors you, I love favor. I love favor. How many of you want favor every day, all day? I I do. Favor. Grace is favor. When When I started my first church in East Texas, it was in a town of 1,600. So so we run more people in a week here than the whole town where I started my first church population. All that there was was a Dairy Queen. Where do you want to eat tonight? Well, let's go to the Dairy Queen. The next night, well, where do you want to eat tonight? Well, let's go to the Dairy Queen. <laughs> That's really true. It shocked us. We went into culture shock. Well, where's your, uh, you know, where, where's your uh, restaurants? Well, Dairy Queen. Man, I learned, I ate everything Dairy Queen had to offer. In the first year. I mean, I learned all those hamburgers, all of it. We went to Dairy Queen all the time. But the deal was we didn't have a building. We did not have a building. We were renting a place that was outside of town, but we didn't have a building. We didn't know what we were going to do because where do you find a building in a town where all there is to eat is a, a Dairy Queen? You know, there weren't buildings everywhere. Well, one day, Kathy came home, and she said, Jeff, there is a sign in a lot right in the middle of downtown Quitman. Quitman. That was the name of the town, Quitman. We used to say, don't quit, man. <laughs> don't quit in Quitman. But <clears throat> we, we, uh, she said, there's a sign right in this property, and there's a building with it. And she said, it said for sale. Well, man, that was as rare as seeing a dodo bird. Amen? So I jumped in my car. I ran up there. Now, this is the truth. This is what happened. I found out who the owner was, and I went in and sat down with the owner, and here's what he said to me. He looked at me, and he said, Jefferson? That's what he called me. He said, I don't know why I'm selling this building. But if you don't take it, I'm going to take the for sale sign up. But if you'll take it, I'll sell it to you. I didn't know him. He wasn't a churchgoer. Inside of me, I went, favor. 
favor. When somebody says to you, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it, that's favor. Amen. We bought that building. We bought that land, and right now it's where a beautiful church sits. We renovated that building, and God gave us our building out of nowhere. He gave us favor. Everybody say favor. Listen, we need favor, and you're in a time of need. You need mercy, God's compassion and forgiveness for yesterday, and you need favor and grace for today. Amen. And finally, there's a third kind of prayer, and I want to end with this, and it's called breakthrough prayer, warfare prayer. I told you at the beginning, I read that story to you about how we're in a warfare. We're in a warfare. And I think the church really needs to wake up and realize that we really are in a warfare, not only personally, but in our nation, uh, in every city, every town, there is a war being waged. Sometimes the children of darkness are more aware of it than the children of light. But we're in a battle. We're in war. But I've got good news for you today. I believe that God has given us the weapon of prayer. And the devil doesn't fear much. But listen, let me tell you what the devil fears. He fears a blood-bought, spirit-filled, praying child of God. Because prayer, the kind of prayer I'm talking about now, breakthrough prayer, destroys satanic assignments. Breakthrough prayer brings down strongholds. Breakthrough prayer moves that wall of resistance that is blocking you from getting to where God wants you to be. Paul said, after putting on salvation's helmet, wrapping around you the truth belt, putting on the gospel sandals, grabbing hold of the sword of God's word and faith's shield, Paul says, now I want you to pray all the time. Now, the two kinds of prayer that I've shared with you today so far are me-focused. They're both me-focused. Lord, give me peace. Lord, give me grace. Lord, give me mercy. And that's fine. That's great. But there's another kind of prayer, and it's not me-focused. It's warfare-focused. It's enemy-focused. It means that you have been challenged by the enemy in your life. The enemy is encroaching on your land. He's encroaching on your stuff. The enemy is encroaching on what is yours in God. The enemy is threatening what you love, threatening what you value. This kind of prayer is confrontational. It is confrontational to the core. It confronts the forces of darkness. This kind of prayer. And you can pray this kind of prayer. If you never have, maybe you need to. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God has put in your mouth the name of Jesus. He has put in your hand the sword of the Spirit. He has put in the other hand the shield of faith. He has said, when you understand your authority in Jesus, the gates of hell will not be able to stop you. Amen. I believe that's the kind of prayer, this warfare prayer that Jesus had in mind when he told his disciples, hey, the gates of hell will not prevail against an advancing, aggressive church that understands its authority in Jesus' name. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know when you need this kind of prayer. We experience what Paul called in in Ephesians 6, we experience the day of evil. He calls it the day of evil. And that just means the season of attack. It's a season of attack. All of a sudden, you're under attack. Your heart is attacked. Your mind is attacked. The bottom seems to fall out. You feel like you're going to lose your faith, some of you. Your heart is broken. 
in a thousand different pieces. People that you care about let you down and you can't understand it. You're discouraged by what another believer does. Multiple things hit you all at once from every side. You're under attack. Nobody has to tap you on the shoulder and say, I think you're under attack. You know you're under attack. It's totally confrontational. There's nothing subtle about it. The enemy is not trying to hide that it's him. It is in-your-face warfare, and you realize, according to Ephesians 6, you've got to stand in the day of evil. Amen. Amen. Now, for me, this kind of prayer is perfectly described in James 5.16. Let me just read it quickly. The heartfelt and the persistent prayer. Heartfelt. Listen to the two words. Heartfelt prayer, persistent prayer. Of a righteous man, a righteous woman, a believer can accomplish much. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. First, it is heartfelt. When you're in warfare prayer, every atom of your being is engaged in what you're doing. This week, I had warfare prayer. I went into warfare prayer. Now, now my dogs always get around me when I pray. They, just, they know when I'm going to go into prayer, and they love sitting in there with me. But this time, man, I was getting down. I'm talking about peeling the paint off the wall. I'm talking about I was... I was binding and loosening. I was naming it. I was using the name of Jesus. I was praying. I was getting down. I was intense. My voice, you know, lifted. I think sometimes my neighbors hear me. And I was, I was, I was in, in warfare prayer. And I looked around, and the dogs are gone. And I thought, well, that's weird. They're gone. So I finished it up, and I thought, where are those dogs going? I went out in the living room, and they were behind the couch looking out at me. I said, it wasn't you guys, but I'm passionate. See, everybody say passion. See, I like passion. I like Holy Ghost spiritual passion. I tell myself every week, I'm not going to get up there and preach hard. I'm not going to sweat every time. And then I end up preaching hard and sweating every time. Because I'm passionate. I'm passionate about God. See, you're not going to convince me that you have found anything good if you're not passionate about it. I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm passionate about the cross. I'm passionate about the Holy Spirit. Amen. And warfare prayer doesn't quit. The picture is Elijah. And I close with this. Elijah had been in a, in a warfare with Baalism, idolatrous Baalism that was destroying Israel. It was a spiritual attack. And wicked Queen Jezebel. It had not rained for three and a half years. Think about that. The ground was cracked and parched. There was nothing green. All the cattle were dying. Everything alive was dying. It was desperate times. And Elijah went into prayer. He knew what he was up against. He knew it was because of wickedness. It says he put his head between his knees. And he said to his servant Gehazi, go out uh, to the edge of the hill there and look at the horizon and tell me what you see. Now watch this, church. Six times there was nothing zero, a negative report, a disappointing report. He was praying for rain. He said, tell me what you see. Well, I see nothing. Second time, nothing. Third time, nothing. Fourth time, not a thing. Fifth time, nothing. Sixth time, nothing, boss. Did Elijah say, well, God just doesn't hear prayer? He said, no, this is warfare prayer. Warfare prayer doesn't quit. Warfare prayer doesn't stop. 
Sometimes the greatest sign that something is happening is nothing is there that you see. God is moving behind the scenes in ways you can't see. But he's moving. See, he's moving in some of your lives, and you don't see it, and you don't know, but he's moving. He is baking something in heaven's oven for you, and you don't even see it yet. Amen. And the seventh time, he said, go again. And the servant came back and said, well, boss, I got a little bit of good news. A cloud the size of a man's hand. Not much, but a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he said, you better tell Ahab to get in his chariot and hook him. Because it's about to be a gully washer. It's about to rain like we've seen in Texas. And all of a sudden, the clouds grew dark. And the thunder began to roll. And the lightning began to flash. And there came a deluge of rain. My point is simply this. He was passionate. He said, oh, God, send rain. Send rain. How many of you are passionate about what you want to see God do? Passionate. I'm passionate. We're going to see a move of God. We're going to be in a move of God. We're going to see God do incredible things for Turning Point Church. We're, we're touching the whole world right now, but we're, we've only just begun. There are, there are new things on the horizon, and I believe right now we're at the cusp of breaking into another level. So we're going to have to pray it through. Pray it through. Amen. Can we stand up together today? Amen. How many of you are glad you came to church today? So say with me, casting prayer. Okay, there, I heard five of you. Let's try it again. Casting prayer. Grace prayer. Warfare prayer. Those three are in your survival kit. Use them. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Jesus, we thank you right now for the blessing of God on the house of God. We thank you, Lord, that we serve a prayer-answering God. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us all that we need to walk in peace. You've given us all we need to see the devil defeated. You have given us all we need in that survival kit so that we would just not just survive, but thrive and win and conquer and shine for you in this dark world. So Lord, help us to go and do what we have heard today. Help us to do it, to do it, 